Luke chapter 9, verse 10, and it reads, And the apostles and the disciples, when they had returned, told him, Jesus, all that he had done. Then he took them and went aside privately into a deserted place belonging to this city called Bethsaida. I don't know why I read this passage and I think about a parent hiding from their kids. Jesus was just a little stressed out. He said, hey guys, let's go to a deserted place and let's just, let's just breathe just a little bit. It's like as a parent, when you go to the bathroom, you don't really need to go. You're just trying to get away from your kids for like three minutes. And it says this, but when the multitudes found out that Jesus was hiding, they followed him. And watch this. He received them and spoke to them about the kingdom of God and healed those who had need of healing. So after they found Jesus, he didn't get irritated. He said, hey, if you're here, I'm here for you. He began to speak and began to heal them. Then the day began to wear away. The 12 came to him and said, send the multitude away that they may go into the surrounding towns and country and lodge and get provisions for we are in a deserted place. But Jesus said to them, you give them something to eat. Say what now? And they said, we have no more than five loaves and two fish unless we go and buy food for all these people. For there were about 5,000 men. Now hear me, when the Bible says 5,000 men, what it means is 5,000 families. So it wasn't like this was a crowd of just 5,000 dudes. This was 5,000 families, which was more likely close to 20,000 men, women, and children. So we have no more than five loaves and two fish unless we go and buy food for all these people. For there are about 5,000 men. Then he said to the disciples, make them sit down in groups of 50. And they did so and made them all sit down. Then he took the five loaves and the two fish, looking up to heaven. He blessed and broke them. Look at your neighbor and say, I'm blessed but not broke. Come on, tell somebody, tell somebody, tell somebody. Sometimes you'd be prepared to have a church. I'm gonna, no, I'm blessed but I ain't broke. He blessed and broke them and gave them to the disciples to set before the multitudes. Here's the passage. So they all ate. Everybody going to eat. Listen, if Jesus is around, everybody going to eat. He said they all ate and were filled and 12 baskets of the leftover fragments were taken up by them. I've got a message entitled the mindset of multiplication. The mindset. The mi Look at your name and say it's a mindset. It's a mindset. It's a mindset. The, the mindset of multiplication. Father God, we are grateful that you are in our midst right now. You said we're two or three are gathered. You're, you're going to be God. There's more than two people here, which means you're here. God, if you're here, healing is here, victory is here, purpose is here. All that we stand in need of is in this place right now. Do what only you can do. Move like only you can move and we'll be ever so careful to give you all the glory, all the honor, and all the praise. Father God, the ravens play today. But you said there was a ram caught in the thicket. Make the LA Rams a sacrifice for your glory. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen and amen and amen. Listen, if you know enough Bible, you can twist it for your favor. Just Rams were only good to be killed on the altar. So <laughs> today I want to talk about the Bible. Let's get back to Scripture. Let's get back to Scripture. I want to talk about the mindset of multiplication, the mindset of multiplication. One thing that I'm hoping happens through this message today, this word impartation, it's the idea that something that is on one person gets on somebody else. 
God told Moses, the work is too much for you to do by yourself. Get the leaders in a room in the presence of God and what's on you, Moses, he's going to transfer onto them. My prayer is over the next few minutes, a mindset, a, a vision, an anointing for multiplication comes on your life. Somebody say amen. Here's the problem. Most people live in addition. They don't live in multiplication. What does it mean to live in addition? To live in addition is living with the mindset of anything that I'm going to get, I'm going to have to work for. I can't rely on anything else. I can't trust for anything else. What I see, I'm going to have to go after in my own strength. And if I want it, I'm going to have to work for it. I hate this word because the world wants stuff. I'm going to have to manifest it for myself. Stop manifesting stuff without the manifester, which is Jesus Christ. That's a different story for a different day. But I'm going to have to take hold of it myself. Somebody say that's not biblical. Everything you have is everything that you worked for is not the life of a believer. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus said, hey, everybody in this world, they stress and they strive and they go after what they want. He said, but your heavenly father knows what you need. And he said, if you would seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, hear me. He said, everything that they have to work for will be added unto you. Somebody say multiplication. God says, I want there to be things in your life that you can't take credit for. It's nothing but the supernatural hand of God that moved in your life. Even before I preach any further, is there anybody who knows the life that I'm living? No offense, but I'm not that smart. I'm not that gifted. I'm not this anointed. If it had not been for the Lord, I walk into a job every day and I'm like, pinch myself. I can't believe that I get to do this. If it had not been for God. Listen, I was looking over what God God has done at Union Church in 2023. Over 5,700 people have given their life to Jesus this year. We have grown by over 4,000 people this year. Somebody say amen. I'm a really good preacher. Fishing for compliments, that's what it's called. But I know I'm not that good. I'm not 4,000 additions, 6,000 people getting. That's the hand of God breathing on something and taking human efforts and bringing back supernatural results. And he has that for every one of our lives. But it doesn't just happen. We've got to know how to see multiplication. Thought about how to illustrate this. And I went and I grabbed this apple. What do you see in my hand? You see an apple. I've got mixed emotions about apples. I love apples. And I, 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 I like particularly apple pie, apple dessert, anything that has to do with apple and sugar and cinnamon, sign me up. The more sugar, the better. I have a mixed emotion with apples because they also remind me that our 21 days of prayer and fasting is coming up in January. Look at your neighbor, say, eat all you can eat. Enjoy your Christmas because in January we starve. <laughs> At Union Church, but I shouldn't say this because all the new people are not going to join this church off of the, Hey, join. It's a great church other than January. In January, we spent 21 days in prayer and fasting. I'm being facetious. It's amazing. The miracles that break out are mind-blowing. But the fast that I always do is a six to six fast. I won't eat before six or, or I won't eat until six and after. You get the idea. So at six o'clock every day, I'll break my fast with apples and peanut butter. So I hate apples now because it reminds me of starving all day long. 
But there's not much you can do with an apple. You can eat it as is. If you're real bougie, you can cut it up and put it in your salad. Get you some balsamic vinaigrette and have a little foo-foo salad. You'll be starving hungry as soon as you're done eating. Ate all that green stuff, and now I'm still hungry. If you really want to be useful with an apple, dice this thing up, put it on a tart, put it in a pie. Make sure you add enough brown sugar to choke a moose, and it will be the best Sunday. That's a lot of brown sugar if you didn't want to know. But pretty much all you can do is consume it, unless you know how these things work. If you know how these things work, you'll realize that this one apple within it possesses the potential to produce, watch this, between 3,500 and 6,400 apples every single year. This one apple within it possesses the potential to produce between three and approximately 7,000 apples every single year. You see where I'm going with this. Because within every apple is between five and eight apple seeds. Every apple has about five to eight apple seeds. And if I plant one apple seed and I get an apple tree, a young apple tree can produce between two to 300 apples per year. But leave that tree alone and let it grow and let it mature. A mature apple tree produces between seven and 800 apples every single year. There's between five to eight apple trees within my hand right now. And after maturity, there's between 35 and 6,400 apples every single year. It all depends on your mindset towards what you're looking at. And a lot of us, when we look at different things and different situations in our life, we see how it can serve us in that moment. And we haven't been trained to see multiplication in everything that we look at. So we have a moment and it may be a great moment. And after the moments, the past, it's over. Or we can be trained to see every moment has the potential for multiplication. Second Corinthians chapter nine, verse 10 says this. Now may he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food, supply and multiply. What does he multiply? The seed. You have sown and increased the fruits of your righteousness. Paul was telling the church of Corinthians, actually, this patch in 2 Corinthians chapter 9 was Paul getting the church ready for an offering. And he said, you, you, you've heard the passages. Make sure that you're a cheerful giver. God wants to make you rich and give you more than enough so that you can give you more than enough. And I think somebody in the church said, well, where do I find something to give? And Paul said, just understand, God gives you two things. He gives you seed for sowing and he gives you bread for eating. But he'll multiply the seed. What he's saying is God will provide for your needs. But if you would say, hey, this is not for my need. This is to be sown as a seed. God said that I will multiply. Somebody say amen. I could feel in the room already. Uh-oh, here we go. This is going to be one long offering message. Can I take a left turn that you're never going to expect a preacher to say? Money is not the only seed that you have. There was too many amens on that. It's offering Sunday, y'all. Don't play like that. Money is a seed you have. There's a lot of amens on that one. From a wallet away, okay. What's the other seeds? No, if you've heard seed in church, most likely you've heard seed connected to money. 
And that is a seed. Somebody say amen. But it's not the only seed. Can, can I teach you what a seed is? Anything that you do or have that does not benefit you or your family directly is a seed. Can I say that again? Anything that you do or you have that does not benefit you or your family directly can be a seed. So if I give time to something that doesn't benefit my family, I just sowed a seed. Somebody say amen. If I sit and I cry with somebody who just experienced a devastating loss and I don't even know the person who was lost, I sowed a seed in that moment. If I help a coworker with a project that they're on that I don't get a commission off of. Pastor, why would I do that? <laughs> because I'm sowing a seed by faith. And here's what he said. God's given me all this ability. Everything that I do for myself is bread. And listen, there ain't nothing wrong with bread. Matter of fact, he said, give us this day our daily. Eat your bread. But anything that I do that's not for me and my family to consume is a seed in the ground. And hear me, God has promised that he will multiply that seed. And what happens is for so many people, because we don't have a mindset of multiplication, we're doing all these different things for other people, not with the faith that because I did it for you, God's going to bring a harvest back in my life. We, 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 we did something called the hope story yesterday. Where, come on, that's a good place to say amen. Where thousands of volunteers at Union Church said, hey, we're going to take all the toys. By the way, if you've ever given any money to Union Church, you provided gifts and toys for over 500 kids yesterday that would not have received any. Give yourselves a hand for that. Come on now. Somebody say it was a seed. But volunteers came just to kind of facilitate the whole deal and kids came and their families came and we set it up like a store because we wanted the parents to have the dignity of we went out and got something for our children. Volunteers may have came and they opened the door and they loved on people and prayed for them and gave them gifts and all that kind of stuff. And you got to know when you do something like that, you walk out of the room, there's just a sense of I did good today. And you just feel proud of yourself. You know what I'm talking about, right? If I did good today, I feel good about myself is the only thing you were expecting from that moment where you sowed. You miss the old principle of multiplication. It's not, it's not good. I'm glad you feel good. I find you feel good. I'm glad you did do something good. But you gave three hours of your life to something that does not benefit you or your family at all. And God said, there's nothing that you give up here on earth, whether time, treasure, talent, that I will not give back to you on this side of eternity. You sowed a seed that if you apply your faith, you will see a harvest come to pass in your life. Can I mess with you even more? Not only do you have a seed, but you are a seed. You, you know, uh, there's just certain things that you can preach. And you know, if you preach it, people are going to scream, amen. They're going to run the room, climb the walls. Yeah. Preaching about haters is one of those things. 
I'm giving away all the preacher's jokes. Okay, let me tell you something, okay? If you lose a room, you're boring, it's obvious that people are not with you, just throw in a little line about haters and the whole room is right back. Listen, okay, you may have haters in your life, but you need to understand that your haters are just your elevators to where God is. <laughs> Preacher's secret. Now, if some dude does that, don't, don't tell him I told you. Can I tell you who one of the greatest haters in your life are? You. There are not many people in your life who underestimate you more than you. There's not a lot of people in your life that overlook you more than you do. And I'm not just talking about you. I'm talking about myself as well. Because when I look at Stephen, I look at all that I'm not. Man, I wish I was disciplined like this person. I wish I was charismatic like this person. I look, I was this. I wish I was that. And what we're missing is what I see is not all that there is to me, but there's supernatural seed that God has placed on the inside. The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 25, verse 2, that it's the pleasure of God to conceal a matter. And it's the pleasure of kings and queens to reveal God has hidden harvests and potentials and gifts and businesses and relationships and favor and open doors on the inside of you. And if you could just get the mindset of multiplication, what you have. Do you know the Bible says that Jesus was a seed? What do you do with the seed? You put it in the ground. I, you, you missed the part to shout amen, so I'll circle back. The Bible says that Jesus was a seed, and what do you do with a seed? You put it in the ground. That's why they couldn't leave him hanging on the cross for three days. They had to take him off that cross and put him in a tomb for three days because a seed can't ferment and it can't grow unless you put it in the ground. But because he was in the ground for three days, he came back with a harvest where the Bible says he was the first resurrected of all the children of God. How many people know because he laid his life in the ground. We are the harvest. Somebody say amen. Only problem is if Jesus did it, we got to do it. John 12, 24 says this, most assuredly I say to you, this is talking about you, unless a grain of wheat, which is a seed, falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. He said, if you lay your life down, I'm going to bring it back 30, 60, or 100 times better than you could ever imagine. But if you try to hold on to it for yourself, he said, you'll end up losing what you have. I didn't preach this in any of the other three services, but I guess we're just going somewhere we ain't never gone before. I think about marriage. If you listen to the wrong person, you could really jack your marriage up. Come on now. Hey, hey, don't marry that person and bury all your dreams. You know, I know so-and-so, she got married and, and she had all these dreams and they never happened. She just ended up having kids for 24 years straight and that was the end of her life. It's <laughs> a lot of kids. Man, I watched him as soon as he married her and had them kids. Every goal, every aspiration, he buried and was gone. If you listen to the wrong person, they'll tell you, hey, in marriage, stand up for yourself. Don't, don't lose yourself. In it. Can, can, can I tell you what Jesus said? Bury yourself. 
because it's not a loss. It's a seed that was sown in the ground. And when I sow that seed in the ground, I'm going to get a harvest back 36 years. Not a lot of amens in the room, but that's okay. When I've got the mindset of multiplication, anything that I lay down that doesn't benefit me, I'm going to see a supernatural response for it. Can I be too vulnerable, but that's okay? It's, it's hard for a pastor not to get bitter because you go through these traumatic relationships your entire life where people come to your church, they get saved, God transforms their life, their marriage gets healed, addiction is broken off their life, increase, and boy, you are, I'm, that word you preach changed my life. And by the way, if that's your story, come tell me. I would love to hear it. Don't, if you see me in these streets, holla at your boy. I just wish I could meet with the pastor. If you want to meet with the pastor, you can find me at Raising Cane's on every Tuesday, Thursday, sometimes Friday, often Saturdays. That's, that's where the most union church people meet me all the time. But people come past you and believe you. Know, I, I was bad with depression. We we're on the verge of divorce. Business was closing. We encountered Jesus. Our lives are transformed, and it's just been amazing. I'm just like, blessed be the name of the Lord. That's about half the combos I get. The other couple is, Pastor, I need to talk to you. I'm not allowed to say this, but one would be like, I don't want to talk to you. Pastor, I don't agree with how Union Church does. Insert the blank. And the Lord is moving me on to another ministry. And I'm not allowed to say thank you, Lord, but <laughs> don't get me wrong. God moves people. God absolutely moves people to different cities, not to different churches. Stay here, but different cities. <laughs> but there's just people that, that they just leave the wrong way. And I'm a pastor, but I'm human. You know what I mean? And sometimes you'd be like, yeah, but I was in the hospital room. <laughs> yeah, but I, I, I showed up at that moment. I pastored you through this. And none of that means anything because of one thing you... <laughs> and, and, and I'll look at older pastors who have been doing this for 30, 40 years. And not all of them. Some of them, they're just bitter. And they don't let people close anymore because everybody close hurts me and all that. And I said, God, I don't want to be that person. And he took me to this passage. And he says, Stephen, here, and this is going to help you with all those people that you think stabbed you in the back and did you wrong and all that. He, he said, look, look, look at your investment in people. That it's not about them, but you're sowing into the kingdom of God. And he said, don't expect that person to pay you back anything. Just know that as you've sown in them, that God owes you, and he's going to pay you back 30, 60, and 100 times more than that person. So I took God literally. I said, God, every single person that leaves this church, you got to give me 30 in exchange. That's biblical. He said 30, 60, or 100 full. I said, God, I need 30 people back for every one person that leaves the wrong way. And God, I need them to even have the same life story, be from the same part of town, just so I know that that's my harvest on the seed that I sow. But I said, God, make them tithe more than the people who left. We're going from levels to levels. Listen, a preacher can pray, huh? What if every person that I feel did me dirty, stabbed me in the back, took advantage of me or whatever, what if I stopped seeing them as someone who manipulated me and I started seeing it as a seed that I sowed into the kingdom of God? I don't need you to pay me back because I know what my God said. And he said, anything that I did for his kingdom, that he's going to give it back to me 30, 60, or 100 fold. One of the things that God laid on my heart is some of you have sowed seeds that you didn't even know it was a seed because your faith 
faith wasn't there in that moment. But just because that seed is there, it means there's still a harvest on top of it. And some of you need to activate your faith again. Oh, I gave that person money and they never gave it back to me. That's a seed. I spent weeks helping that person find a job and they never even said thank you. That's the seed. I came out of my way to help this person. God, I'm believing that you're going to respond to everything that I did for somebody else that didn't benefit me and my household. Took my kids to Target yesterday because I'm a man of faith. <laughs> Dangerous step. We went Christmas gift shopping. Took them to the toy aisle and I said, hey, each of you pick out five toys. They said, Daddy, I love you. And I said, when you pick out five toys, they're not for you. We're giving them away. My five-year-old said, Daddy, why would we do that? And I said, well, Roman, there's kids that they're not going to get any Christmas gifts this year, and we're getting Christmas gifts so that they can have something. He said, I don't want to. He said, they should buy their own gifts. And don't get me wrong, my kids didn't turn up in Target. They were raised right. They know daddy will lose it in a Target store. So they didn't scream, they didn't shout, but they weren't happy about it at all. But it was building that muscle of I'm not just going to look out for me and mine. Everything that I do is not just going to benefit me, but God has blessed me to be a blessing, and I'm going to spend at least some of my life looking for who is God sending into my world that I can be a blessing to them. Hear me and expect nothing in return. I'm preaching to you, but I'm preaching to myself because I do something for some folks. Even as little as you women. I know I'm on the edge, but that's all right. I just, God, God's still working on me, okay? Now, God's still working on me, but my mama did raise me right. So if I'm walking into the mall or whatever it may be, I'm going to hold the door if I see a woman coming. Now, if it's a brother, homie, you on your own. I ain't got nothing to do with me. But if I see a woman coming, I'm going to open the door. But there's something that happens inside of me. When homegirl walks through and says nothing. Listen, okay, I'm your pastor. I love God. I'm filled with the Holy Ghost. He's still working on me. Sometimes I'd be like, thank you. I think what you were missing was, thank you. God, help me. Some of us, that's where we are when we do something for somebody else. We, and I don't just need a thank you. I need the proper expression of emotion. Based on that ride I just gave you, those bucks I just loaned. What if we could do for people not needing a thank you? Because it wasn't about them in the first place. I was sowing a seed of faith into the kingdom of God. And the one who's able to pay me back is going to multiply everything that I did in that. We, we, we may change the name of this message to no thank yous needed. No thank. Okay, write this down, write this down, write this down. Boy, I preach 30 minutes on the intro. I got four minutes for four points. Okay. <laughs> Go home and watch the message on YouTube. You'll get the rest of it. Religion says send them away. Religion says send them away. So here it is, Jesus preaching the longest message anybody's ever heard in their life. 
Started in the morning, sun's gone down, homie's still preaching. Peter's like, this is ridiculous. Twelve disciples, they all went rock, paper, scissors. Peter lost, so he had to interrupt the message. And he goes, excuse me, excuse me. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I know Jesus, ain't he a good… This is when you know the message is too long. You say stuff like, oh, that was rich. That was… That was… Peter rose over and said, Jesus, man, this six-week sermon series you're preaching all in one day? My goodness, Jesus, this, you are outdoing yourself, really. But the people are hungry. It's late and I, we're out here in the wilderness. Ain't no food out here. Jesus, let's send them away, hear me, so they can fend for themselves. Hear me. Religion always says, send them away. If somebody in your life has a need and you pray for them and do nothing else, that ain't Jesus. Hear me, your prayers are great. But after you say amen, then get to action. The action could be as simple as, hey, I'm going to come and sit with you in your house for an hour. You're not going to be by yourself in this season. I'm, 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 I'm going to be a physical presence of support. It may not always be give them money. It may not always be get them out of a jam. It may just be, I need you to know that I'm here for you. But if all you can offer is prayers and there's nothing physical, you're missing half of the Bible. Bible says in James chapter 2, verse 15, suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed. That's, that's like saying, God is good all the time, all the time. God is good. But does nothing about their physical needs. What good is that? We, we don't realize, but, but, but religion without the voice of God in our life, wants to bless people and send them off to fend for themselves. When God says, no, if I brought that into your world, it's because I expect you to do something about it. He said, we are the hands and the feet of Jesus. Come on now. Just because I'm a little shady and I like to have a little fun. I think that's why the church is so angry at government. And that's why we're so frustrated with the educational system in America. Can I tell you why? Because we're expecting politics and education to do what God anointed the church to do. Come on. I don't think Social Security is going to be around by the time I retire in this welfare program. There should be no welfare program. You know what the God's welfare program is? Take care of the widow and the orphan. This is true religion. God says, I want the people of God to be blessed and not greedy so that you can see the needs in the world and be a blessing to it. But because we've taken, I'm a praise and I'm a shout and then I'm going to send you home. Now the government is struggling to do something that they were never called or anointed by God to, to do. That, was, that one hurt, right? Cool. It gets worse, but it gets better at the end. Write this down. Fear obsesses over what's missing. So here's Peter. Hey, Jesus. Hey, ah, we got to get these people home. It's getting late. Jesus says, you feed them. What? What'd he say? What'd he say? You would not believe this. Is he going to end the message? You see the man still preaching. He ain't ending. What'd he say? He said, we got to feed him. You know who got mad at that? Judas. <laughs> Judas is the one that had to pay for it. He's he like, if we feed him, I ain't going to have enough money to steal. We can't do that. 
He said, we don't have enough money to feed all these people. He said, I know what to do. If Jesus sees what we don't have, he'll let them go. What do we got? I found some little kid. I just beat him down for us. Five pieces of bread and two fish. Okay, give me the bread. Peter gets the bread, gets the fish. Hey, guys, I'm sorry to interrupt. Great service, but isn't this an amazing message? Jesus is really preaching this. One moment. Hey, Jesus. Hey, buddy, pal. None of God. Um, all we were able to find was five pieces of bread and, and two pieces of fish. Clearly, it's not enough. We're really going to need to send them home. Have them sit down in groups of 50. What'd he say? Isn't it wild? Every time we see a need, we automatically think about what we don't have. When Jesus said you feed them, don't you think he knew all that they had on that mountainside was five loaves and two fish? He's God. There's moments in scripture where he read people's thoughts. He knew what was there. But somehow the disciples did not connect that all-knowing God must have known that this isn't enough. So clearly he has a plan. And without even realizing it, we obsess over what we do not have to accomplish what God has called us to accomplish instead of obsessing over what he's going to do with what we do have. We do it with ourselves. We say, oh, I don't have a college degree. I can't expect that. Oh, I, I, I don't have this, this big, gregarious personality. I'm not even going to try that because I don't have the personality for that. Yeah, why are you obsessed over what you don't have? As if we don't serve a God that can take something that is not and make it something. If we don't serve a God that can multiply small things. Instead of saying, I don't have a college degree. How about saying, I've got a lifetime of experience where I've learned my gifts and my talents and my abilities and what I'm gifted in. And maybe God can do something with this. Instead of saying, hey, I don't have this big charismatic personality. How about saying, wait, God has given me an ability to solve problems where I could see one problem with 15 different solutions. And I may not be standing on a platform with a microphone, but if you need something structured and ordered and designed, I'm your person. Stop looking at what you don't have and stop saying, God, this is what I do have. What can you do with it? It's like, you guys remember that, that widow in the Bible that, that had nothing to eat and she was getting ready to starve to death? Not that widow, the other widow. <laughs> and she comes to the prophet and she says, I'm dying. And he asks her, what do you have? And she responds, second king, she responds with this phrase, all I have is a little bit of oil. He didn't ask you all you have. He said, what do you have? She could have phrased it as, I found some oil in the house. But what she said, all I have is this little bit. In other words, you can't do anything with this. What did the prophet say? He said, go in the house, get some jars, close the door, and if you would pour out what you do have. Watch God take what you do have and make it more than you could ever ask, think, or imagine. Stop obsessing over what's missing. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 2 says this. Grace, I got to slow down. I'm too excited. Okay, come down, come down, come down. Grace and peace, here's the word, be, come on, preach with me. What's that word? Grace and peace be to you. Can I tell you how multiplication happens? 
Second Peter tells grace and peace be multiplied to you, watch this, in the knowledge of what you have. Is that what it says? In the knowledge of what you're capable of. In the knowledge of, no, in the knowledge of God and of our Jesus, of Jesus our Lord, as his divine power has, I'm going to add a word, already given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue. Can I tell you where the mindset of multiplication comes from? Not knowing what you have, but knowing who he is. Don't worry about what's in your hand. You just worry about knowing what your God is capable of. And if you know what he's capable of, you know whatever's in your hand is enough for him to do great things with. So they bring the five loaves and two fish to Jesus. And he says, have the people sit down in groups of 50. Write this down. Order always precedes multiplication. Order always precedes multiplication. Okay, you may be mad at me for a little bit, but you're going to love Jesus at the end. Y'all ready? Just because you're believing for a miracle don't mean you're going to see it. Just because you don't see a miracle doesn't mean Jesus didn't do it. If Jesus did it and I don't see it, what happened? He did it because he told Daniel, from the first day you prayed, I responded. What if God said, I've got your miracle right here. What? I'll give you an illustration. I ain't going to give it to you that easy. My wife loves to send me on dummy missions. I don't know if she thinks I'm the dummy, but... And she said, hey, I got a little piece of furniture at Home Goods, Home Sense, whatever it is. On your way home, could you stop and grab it? And that's all she'll tell me. And I'm thinking, yeah, I could get a cushion and put it in my back seat. No problem. And then I'll pull up to Home Goods. Hey, my wife called. Here's the receipt. They said, oh, okay. Here's the 17-foot-long dining table and the 14 chairs that you could put around it. And I look at my truck and I look at this 17-foot table and I look at my and I, I look at the person at home because they look back at me, we having the same question. Where you finna put that? And they're looking at me like, why'd you come with that small truck? And I'm like, because nobody told me. Sorry, I have to get that off my chest. That's how God's looking at you with your miracle. Where you expect me to put the husband at? You're believing me for a husband, but you got all these dudes around that are best friends, and I'm I'm having way too much fun. And the miracle is pending because there's nowhere to receive what I'm believing God for. He said, put your life in order so I can do what I want to do. Believe in God for a new car and your trunk. Come on now. You scared to go back there. God, I'm believing for a car. Well, that car needs to be parked in a garage. But you need Waze and Apple Map just to get from your garage door to the back of the room because there's so much junk in your garage. If we... 
What if we govern, governed our life for what we were believing to receive from God instead of what we're walking in today? He said, put the space in order and then watch me deliver what you've been praying for over and over and over again. Somebody needs to hear this. Your miracle is already yes and amen. It's just pending for delivery. He's waiting for some things to get in order so that when he gives it, it won't be wasted. That's why he said, when I pour out my presence, I'm not pouring it in order old wineskin because it's going to break and be spilled all over the place. I need a prepared place. So here the disciples go, you could play. I'm done. I'm way out of time. Go, okay, I need y'all to sit down. You know how people are. Y'all don't do nothing people tell you to do. Goes, okay, hey, I need you group of 50. Can y'all sit down? Now you all feed us? I hope so. I don't know what's about to happen. Just sit down. Get all big groups of 50. There's so many funny things in this passage. I don't got time to preach it all. Could you imagine 12 grown men rolling up on this little boy? What you got in the bag? <laughs> and by the way, I, I, I don't know if you're a theologian. I am. And I study the original language. When it said five loaves, the original translation is five Popeye's biscuits. You don't believe me? Go ahead. Do your own research. It was Popeye's biscuits. And we also know just by contextualizing the scripture that this young boy was from Baltimore. How do I know that? Because he had five loaves and two fish. It sounds like a lake trout box from Park Heights to me. By the way, if you ain't never had fried lake trout from Park Heights, you ain't never lived. They roll up and they snatch this kid's biscuit and his lake trout and they bring it to Jesus. Jesus, don't miss. Bible gives us all the information we need. He breaks the bread. Well, he blesses it first. He breaks it. And he gives each of the disciples a half. Don't miss this. I bring Jesus five whole pieces of bread. He breaks it. Now I've got ten halves. I've got less than I had when I brought it to him in the first place. Thou mess with your head. What do I do when I bring something to Jesus and I got less afterwards than I did before? And here's Peter holding his half. You know, Peter ignorant. He all gonna say something. Hey, Jesus, you want to pray for mine? I already did. You want to bless it again? It's blessed. Give it away. It don't look blessed. All right, whatever. Okay, hey, can you take a little piece of bread? Okay, take a little. Take a little. Can you take a I said a little. Greedy people, golly. Take a little bit, okay. Last little piece of bread I got is going to be weird, but. And as Peter goes to give out the last piece he has in his hand, wait a minute gross in his hand. Oh my gosh. Oh, wow, you did something on you. Don't go nowhere. Don't go. Nowhere. I'm gonna need you to pray for this again. Okay, take a little piece, take a little piece, take a little. You greedy, I ain't gonna come to you. <laughs> take a little piece. And when he gets to the end of his piece again, it grows. And they do this for 20,000 people. And there's never 20,000 pieces of bread. There's only what God told them to give away. And as they give it away, it grows and it grows and it grows and it grows and it grows. The miracle happens in your hand. 
Look at your neighbor saying, that ain't even a miracle. That ain't even a miracle. Come on, tell somebody, tell somebody, that ain't even a miracle. After 20,000 people are fed from five Popeye biscuits and two pieces of lake trout from Park Heights, they got one little crumb left in their hand. And they said, let's see how far this miracle can go. They break it and they throw the little crumb in the basket and it grows in their hand. They break it again and they break it again. Next thing they know, the basket is full. Everybody's fed and the miracle's still going. Bring more baskets, bring more baskets. They fill a second and a third and a fourth and a fifth and a sixth. The Bible says that the miracle did not stop until 12 basketfuls were full of bread. Righteous, the blessing will never leave you out. One of the reasons why we're afraid of giving somebody something that doesn't benefit us at all is because if I'm a blessing to them, I may not have enough and we don't understand that we serve a God that will never leave you with not enough. He will always give you more than you need. Somebody shout amen. Twelve basketfuls, twelve disciples, question for you, who took the extra home? You would think the disciples, right? But it wasn't their bread in the first place. It was a little boy from Park Heights that got jumped for his bread. You know why I think there was 12 basketfuls left over? So that there could be one disciple to carry it for the boy back home. Could you imagine the look on his mama's face when he comes walking around the corner and he's got 12 grown men holding 12 basketfuls of bread and fish and she says, what in the world is going on? He said, mama, you would not believe these men jumped me for the lunch you gave me. But then they came back a few hours later with these 12 basketfuls and now we've got enough to eat off of. And matter of fact, we can feed the entire village based on what God has done. Here you may be thinking, if I give that person my time, I'm not going to have enough for me. If I give that person my money, if I give that person this idea or whatever it may be, I've got to hold it on to me because there's only so much to go around, not realizing that God says, if you will give, I will give it back to you. Pressed down, shaken together, and running over to the measure that you give is the measure that is going to be given back to you. And just for those of you who have only heard that verse when it comes to money, it's talking about money, but it's talking about joy and peace and purpose and time and everything that you can give. How about we have the mindset of multiplication? That everything I give away, God's going to give it back to me 30 times bigger than I gave it away. So I'm constantly looking for opportunities to sow so I can receive all that God has for me. Father God, we are grateful. God, we're thankful that even in this moment, you're stirring our faith. God, there's things that we've done for others that we've forgotten about. God, in this moment, we're reapplying our faith. God, that you're going to be faithful to your word, that we're going to see a harvest based on our obedience. Right where you're sitting, can you pray this prayer with me? Say, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me? Just give God a moment to make this time, to make this message personal to you. Maybe for some of you, what God is saying is, hey, get your eyes off your own needs just for a second. Put my kingdom first. Think about that coworker. Think about that person who's in need. And as you think about them, I'm thinking about you. For some of you, what I know God is saying is, the first thing you need to give away is not your time or your money. It's your life. Maybe you're like me. You grew up in church and you know how church works and you know all the verses and you know when to shout amen. 
but you also know that you've never given Jesus control of your life. The first seed to sow is the seed of surrender. And this is your moment right now. Whether you're watching online or you're one in our rooms, you know Jesus is not the controller of your life. He's asking right now, will you let him be? Will you give him all of you? This is your moment of salvation. Can you pray this prayer with me? Say, Lord Jesus, I believe that you can do more with my life than I can do with it. And that's why today I surrender. I give you all of me. I believe you died on the cross. You shed your blood so that all of my sin, all of my mistakes can be erased. I declare you're my Lord. You're my Savior. Use me for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen and amen and amen. Come on. Can you celebrate for every single person?